0: Welcome back to another episode of Between the Lines with your hosts, Jack and John. Today we had a very special episode as we were accompanied by Major League Baseball umpire Dan Bellino with him being able to share what life is like as a Major League umpire. With that being said, I will now cue the interview and get it started. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, so uh, first question that I have is uh, through some research, we saw that uh, you did some schooling at University of Illinois Chicago, then even did like a semester at Oxford, um, got your MBA and then passed the Illinois bar exam. So it like, and you mentioned that you were a lawyer, but what made you pursue a career as an umpire as well?
1: Uh, it's, uh, I think you're, you're gonna run into something similar in your life where you think you want to do something and you're so, you know, dead set on doing it. And then once you wind up, um. you know, kind of getting distracted by something that you're passionate about. That's exactly what happened with me. I, I wanted to be a lawyer since I was nine years old. I, I, I started uh, my mom worked as a court reporter and I would I was down at the federal building and I saw the attorneys. And what really I liked about it was I, I liked their suits to be blunt. I, I thought they looked really nice. I'm like, wow, that, I want to look like that. And uh, then as I went to law school, I started officiating basketball. And uh, I realized really quickly that I enjoyed officiating. And then it was in the middle of law school that uh, somebody had suggested, you know, you should try umpiring, which I was a Cub fan and mm-hmm. I went to baseball games because I was going to school downtown Chicago and we'd go to games and I'm like, you know what? I could do that. So I kind of took a left turn when everybody else was turning right. And they all thought I was a little crazy at the time, but now they all think that I, you know, I, I was brilliant for doing that.
0: Yeah, Oh, continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to.
1: Cut no, that off. no, by all means.
0: That's so, fine. like, what did you have to do to, like, kind of? You said you took a left turn, but like, what did that include?s so, Like, did you have to go to a certain school for to be an umpire, or how did that yes. all work?
1: Yep. There's there's an umpire school, but uh, what what wound up happening with me it was really interesting. John was the the umpire schools run in January, and I was scheduled to graduate in May. So I, when I decided to go to umpire school, I'm like, okay, I'm, I can't waste six months. So I can't do my last semester and then wait six months and go to umpire school. It needs to be just a, a straight shot. So I went mm-hmm. to my guidance counselor and I said, what do I have to do to graduate a semester early? And she's like, well, you have to take an extra class here and there. You got to take over summer school. I'm like, all right, sign me up. So you know, I graduated law school in two years because I I didn't want to do the two and a half years or what I, was it? No, it was three years. It was so I did two and a half years instead of three years because I, I needed to be done in January. So I went to umpire school uh, in January, and then I actually flew home during the middle of umpire school to walk in my law school graduation. Then I flew back to umpire school. So wow. it was, Yeah, it was it was definitely different. And I didn't tell a lot of people what I was doing, especially the umpires, because I didn't want them to think I wasn't serious about umpiring. Mm-hmm. So I, I kept that a little, you know, private that I had a law degree, and uh, you know, over time it came out, but it wasn't. I, I didn't think it was useful early on. I thought it would be more counterproductive.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how do you like balance being an umpire along with also, you know, being a lawyer?
1: Uh, the, the short answer is poorly. Uh, it's, uh, it's not, there's a lot of things that slip through the cracks, but the best way to do it is to solve that problem is to hire the right people. So my, my staff is incredible and they're incredibly competent. They're independent. They, they don't need to be micromanaged. Uh, it took a lot of years to, to get it to the point where it's at. Uh, do I see myself practicing law forever? No, I, I really don't. I'll always keep my degree active, but um, from a mental standpoint, I don't, I still carry some student loans and I just can't justify paying my student loans with income from baseball. So I feel like I need to pay those student loans with money I earn through law and it's more of just a an internal thing. It's really, you know, like some people would say oh, you're blowing it out of proportion, but for me, I just mentally am like, you know what, I don't think it's right. I'd rather, I'd rather practice lot to pay for my law degree and then once it's paid off then decide okay what do i want to do now
0: mm-hmm. yeah so uh kind of shifting away from like the law field uh and looking more at the umpire umpiring uh so you umpired your first game in 2008 at wrigley field um in a cubs versus orioles matchup so what i would imagine that you know emotions of your first game are similar to that of like a you know, an actual player playing in the game, like playing in their first game as a rookie. So what like what kind of emotions were going through your head and like how did you manage them in your first game?
1: Well, so there's a there's an interesting backstory behind my first game. My first game was not supposed to happen. It was uh I, I was in triple A and I was working in Oklahoma City and I had an off day on that Thursday. So I or it might have been a Wednesday. I think it was a Wednesday. And so I flew home uh, to see my family. I hadn't seen him in over two months because in, in the minor leagues, you don't get to go home. So I flew home on the off day at the last minute. I didn't really plan it. It was like I was able to do it. The, the flight was cheap enough, so I did it. So I was with my family that day and I got the phone call at 515 because one of the umpires, Mike Winters, had a family emergency. And the head supervisor called me and he asked me if I was at home. And I said, yes. And he said, how long would it take you to get to Wrigley Field? And I'm like, how long do I have? And he said, game starts at 7.05. I said, I'll be there. So it was like from Crystal Lake, as you know, to get to Wrigley at 5 o'clock on a Wednesday is next to impossible. Yeah. So I, I for me, I got in the car I was driving on the shoulder. I was hazards going. I did everything I could. And I got there at like, I want to say it was like six, six thirty. 30. So, I mean, I just, I did everything I could, I was going to get there. But by the time I got there, the interesting thing was I didn't even have time to be nervous. It was, mm-hmm. I got there and everything was like in a rush. Like you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And then by the time it was over, you're like, that That just happened. And then I went back to AAA the next day, and they just were, you know, they, it was just a lucky set of circumstances that I got that game. And then you have the fear of maybe that's the only game I ever get because you don't mm-hmm. know if you're going to make it in the minor leagues. So there was a lot of emotions of like, okay, I'm on a big league field. It's a Wrigley field. You know, my family wasn't able to be there, um, but some did show up like mid-game when they found out. But it was it was uh, a point where you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm on the right track. I made the right decision. It's validation. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, very uh, nostalgic to be standing at Wrigley Field. But then the game starts and you're like, okay, we have a game to work. And you kind of have to flip that switch and, and not be as in awe of the situation. It, ta- it takes about 30 games in the big leagues to stop reminding yourself like, wow, I'm in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. So they're just playing the same game that they played in the minor leagues.
0: Yeah. So do you think that that kind of like actually helped to calm your nerves and just that adrenaline?
1: Yeah, for sure. Because you just, you didn't have the buildup of being nervous. You didn't have the yeah. like, okay, tomorrow I have to fly. And then the next day I have a game. It's, it was like five o'clock to seven o'clock. I had two hours and you just did not have a minute to to be nervous. It's like you mm-hmm. had to get here. You had to do this. You got to get dressed. You got to get on the field. It's, and then you know, it's like the second inning that I finally caught my breath, where I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like this is happening! Like I'm mm-hmm. here. I am."
0: So you mentioned uh, how you you the, the thought of never being able to umpire a game again, like if you don't get called up from the minors. So is that kind of like a similar process to the players themselves, like getting called up from the minors to the big leagues?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's uh, the the slang term is a cup of coffee. You know, guys say you got a cup of coffee in the big leagues. That's just slang for you were up and down. You know, just really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a handful of umpires that worked an emergency game, and that was the only game they ever got. Uh, you know, some people think it's a blessing because they got they got there. Other people think it's a curse because it's like you tasted it, but you can't stay.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: to me, I think getting on a big league field for even for one game is a privilege and if i went back in time and i didn't make it to the big leagues i would much rather have been there for one game than not at all because it it did like you climb the ladder and being hired in the big leagues is a totally different situation because we're we're like the judges you know so the players are like the attorneys that come into court and we're the judges the players are they're the product that's what everybody pays to see, and, and they need to come in there and they need to do their job, and if they do it well, they, they're highly compensated and they're incredibly skilled, and our job is to be unbiased. So when we sit there and we observe these players playing at the highest level of the sport, it's pretty cool to see. I mean, When you see a guy throw a ball and he's throwing it 100 miles an hour and guys mm-hmm. like you and me probably could never throw over 70 – You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's pretty unbelievable when you see how good these players are, but for a player, it's, there's a lot of opportunities where if you get into the minor leagues and you bat really well, if you hit 400 every year, you're going to get to the big leagues. Yeah. It's just like, they're going to move you up fast because you're hot as an umpire, you have to go through every level. So you have to do a ball, you do rookie ball, short season, a, Long A, double AA, A, triple A, where a player could come in if he's just flat out raking and knocking in RBIs and playing, they'll move him up faster. They could jump him up to triple A real fast and see if he can compete. Yeah. You know, it's they have a short shorter window. But once we're in our role, then we're there. You know, there is job security, which is huge because you don't want an umpire or a judge that, that could be persuaded.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're in that minor league system do you like what's the process of getting called up like do they like evaluate your performance or like do anything like that and if so how do they do that
1: yeah there's minor league supervisors that will travel around and sometimes they come in unexpected sometimes they they we call it snipering they'll sniper you where they come in and you don't know they're there and uh in those instances they're looking to catch you not hustling uh you know you you have to, to hustle you have to work hard you can never take a day off you never know who's watching and so the minor leagues are a mixed bag when it comes to people that are paying attention to you you have managers on the teams that are reporting back to the league you have scouts that are reporting back to the organizations you have major league supervisors that are in constant communication with minor league supervisors and scouts so you kind of approach every day as this is an opportunity to, to, you know, showcase my abilities and you're really on job interview. It's a, it's a job interview that lasts years. And the hardest part really, John, is that there's so much uncertainty when it comes to outside of the season. So let let me just run you through a minor league year, a typical minor league year, you would get assigned to a league. So, you know, you know, in 2005, I was going to the Florida State League. I knew that uh, early on. I think I was told in November the previous year, you're going to go to the Florida State League next year. Okay, great. That's that's great. That's the league I wanted to go to, actually. So you start the year, you're going through it, and as things progress, you want to get a pick for a postseason assignment. You want to work the playoffs in the Florida State League. So I was lucky enough I got that playoff assignment. Then when that playoff assignment happened, then you're like, okay, there's, there's extended seasons where they do instructional leagues down in Arizona and Florida. So then it's like, well, I really want that, but you don't know until like a week before. So my season ended middle of September. I get a phone call at the end of September, Hey, in two weeks, you need to report to the Arizona instructional league. So you're like, that's great. That's it's showing progress. I'm being noticed. Go to the Arizona instructional league. And then every year you have that type of a cycle and then you go, okay, what league will I be in next year? There's been some great leagues I've been in. I mean, I was assigned to the Hawaiian Winter League. That was a phenomenal league. I mean, who doesn't want to spend a winter in Hawaii? You know, yeah. that was that was the best assignment I ever had. I spent a winter in Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, there's, there's some cool assignments. And then you have some guys that went to Venezuela, and that, that wasn't for me. I wouldn't have enjoyed Venezuela. <laughs> that just wasn't my thing.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I didn't realize that there was such, like, a, a long process that went into it. And just you know, going through all those leagues like you like you mentioned, but um, yeah,
1: most people don't. Most people just think we we're just you know, like, the fans that don't know us they they think we don't take it seriously, and they also believe the statistics that are broadcast that are just absolutely incorrect. Our abilities and and how good our staff performs mm-hmm. is not correctly reported and and that's okay. They need a scapegoat. You know, nobody wants to say that their players were wrong. You know, they want to cheer for the the Jersey that they bought. I get it, but we do not miss nearly as much as, as people may, you know, try to say we miss.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely feel like umpires oftentimes get kind of a, a bad rap uh, just in terms of like, you know, saying like, like you mentioned saying you have missed calls and stuff. And like even within games, like, you know, obviously a lot of times there aren't always calls that players or managers may like, and you might kind of catch like uh, an earful for that. So what is that? Like how do you kind of deal with that stuff, like in-game trash talking from players and managers?
1: Yeah, it's I wouldn't call it trash talking. I, I would call it, uh, you know, they're, they're advocating for – the call to go their way you know they're arguing and there's certain rules that you can't argue balls and strikes you can't you know argue replay reviews you can't there's a lot of things that they they can't do but really you can argue it respectfully what you can't do is you can't get personal you can't Mm -hmm. say that that you suck you can't say that you know you did it on purpose you can't say that stuff you could say I was safe I was safe no you weren't and you know the dialogue that takes place during an argument ranges from anything from them just absolutely telling you you're dead wrong. You absolutely missed this call or you absolutely missed that pitch to sometimes they come out and say, look, I think you got it right, but I have to be out here. I have to show my team that I've got their back. I have to, to stand up for them right now. And I got to keep my player in the game. It's like, okay, you know, listen, my job is just to remain calm. I, I, I fail at it a lot, but it's not, intentionally that i fail it's you know you have life circumstances there's things going on and everybody has good days and bad more times than not i'm able to keep my calm but every so often it's like maybe you had a perfect storm of things going on you got issues at home where you know like you you're, you're you're like i've had calls where my son fell broke his arm it's like you know you're not there So, you know, I could be amped up before I walk out there and you're like, man, I wish I was home right now. My son broke his arm and, you know, and then next thing you know, you're getting yelled at. You're like, man, what are you you yelling at me for? Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm out here, like you have no idea what's going on, but then you have to remind yourself, well, that's why we're professionals and you have to be able to flip the switch. So it's something over time that everybody understands that we all have lives and At the end of the day, the the majority, I'd say 90-plus percent of people that are with the big leagues understand that that you're part of the baseball family. And so Mm -hmm. we're all protective of each other. Like I don't know if you have brothers and sisters, but you probably fight a lot with them. But if somebody was to ever come at them, you would have their back. And I think that's how baseball really is. It's just this is a, a unique industry in that it's really hard to get to the top of the of the ladder but once you're there everybody kind of looks out for each other
0: yeah so um earlier you mentioned that you know when you're in a game you have to kind of just like put all of your like excitement aside I guess you know seeing like these players in like up close and personal like some of the best athletes in the world what um if any players have you ever gotten like starstruck from and who is your favorite player to watch Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, listen. You're gonna think that I'm taking the easy way out. I don't get starstruck. I I I really don't. The if you want to know people that I've met that I've been like really proud to meet, I met I met four presidents. Uh, you know I've got pictures with four presidents. I met Rudy Giuliani in the locker room when he was still uh, the mayor of New York. I met uh, uh, John McCain who came into the locker room in Phoenix. So this job, I've met some really interesting a lot of celebrities that, uh, you know, uh, music performers where they, they're singing the national anthem and they, you, you happen to run by them, um, you know, in the, in the hallway or they come in the locker room to say hello. That's, that's really the cool behind the scenes stuff. As far as the players, I mean, there's players out there that, you know, Hey, this is a good guy. This is a guy that, does a lot for the community, but, hey, if, if he takes that that 2-2 pitch on the outside corner, uh, I'm going to call it a strike. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, I got a job to do. He's got a job to do. Just hit the ball, and we don't have a problem. But um, you can't really allow yourself to become any type of a fan. And trust me when yeah. I you the starstruck aspect, they're not stars. They're, they're athletes. Yeah. You and they're incredibly talented and blessed athletes. And they're they're superstars in the sports realm. But, you know, these are – they have a small shelf life. And you just hope that they're good people. And they use their platform to do good things. And you can't control it. And at any given time, they – you can get yelled at by them. And they could be right and I could be wrong. But, you know, we have to coexist.
0: Yeah. Um, so you think it's kind of just more important what the players do off the field than it is on the field then?
1: I think it's absolutely just as important. I think that on the field, when you see a batter not run out a a pop-up that winds up dropping and everyone's like, man, he could have been at second base. That's bad for me telling my kids to run out every ball that they hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you read about a player that gets, you know, pulled over for a DUI, that's bad for baseball in general. That just shows a level of being, you know, uh, uh, irresponsible. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of different things that you look at. You say, man, you know, you got to be careful. And why some of these players would ever drink and drive, I don't understand because they have the means to have a car service. So you you get disappointed, but believe me, I'm not I'm not immune from making mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. But you want to realize that they're they're new mistakes and not repeating the same cycles. And that's the key to really, you know, surviving and advancing is making new mistakes, learning from them uh, one foot in front of the other and, and moving forward and saying like, okay, I'm, I'm better off for having done that. I wish it didn't happen. But now that it did, I'm going to take advantage of the positives and, and try to spin this to be a positive as much as possible.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, so kind of moving aside from the players, in 2016, you umpired in the All-Star game, which is pretty cool um how did that game differ from like a normal game and what was the atmosphere around that like yeah well so
1: when you have special events they baseball does um they do build up for it obviously so there's there's galas there's like dinners that they have set up for everybody to go to it's it's more of a a a celebration of the sport so in that type of an instance, uh, when you get a selected, you get about a month's notice for the All-Star Game. I arranged to have my family go, uh, my kids. It was it was really a cool experience. That that's seeing the All-Star festivities, the Home Run Derby, and all that live in person, and you see that truly these players are they're all in the same place, and you know they're having fun, and it's not a competitive. Uh, environment, you know, it's 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 more of a jovial environment. It's very cool to see because they kind of let their guard down. Uh, but the, the baseball puts on a pretty good production. I mean, I the the bigger one for me was the opening series in Japan. To fully appreciate how much goes into it for two games in Japan, it was months of preparation. So that was more uh, indicative of of truly how big baseball is when you see that they had an entire country celebrating the fact that we're going to play the first two games there of the season yeah. since done it in Australia, um, they've, they've gone back to Japan. It's just baseball is going international. It's, it's across the globe. I, I hope we get to Europe. I hope if we get to Europe, I would love to umpire a baseball game in, in Italy. That would be phenomenal.
0: Yeah. That'd be really cool. Um, all right. So let's see. Uh, Going back to like, you know, uh, arguing with players and uh, managers, um, you know, there's a video or just in looking it up uh, of you ejecting uh, Josh Donaldson last year. Um, So like kind of what are your thoughts on ejections and, you know, just how they all go down and what transpires before them and everything around that? Well,
1: well, ejections are just a, a part of the game. I mean, it's, it's not – we can't lose sight of the fact that it's an entertainment industry. So fans do enjoy controversy. They do enjoy having, um, you know, disagreements. There's they, they love to yell at the umpires, which is fine. Uh, they boo the opposing players. That's fine, too. Uh, you pay your ticket price. You, you get to come in and, and say what you want to say and do what you want to do as long as you're, you know, respectful and you're not belligerent. Mm-hmm. Uh, When we have an ejection, we have to fill out reports. We have to make phone calls to the league. There's a lot of legalities that go into it because the players are fined and sometimes they're suspended if their actions are so egregious. So ejections are not encouraged in the sense that, that, you know, you enjoy it because the second after you eject somebody, it's like, well, I just added an hour to my post game routine that I have to sit down and write out a report. So mm-hmm. you understand that there's a responsibility. It's like a police officer pulling you over and giving you a, a warning versus giving you a ticket, you know. Yeah. And so it's like an ejection to me is giving somebody a ticket. Now, if they're if they're drinking and driving, maybe they go to jail. That's a suspension. You know, if you you know trying to draw the analogy, mm-hmm. there's certainly different levels. So, uh, you know, the situation last year with Josh, he you know, his emotions got the better of him. Uh, he said some things and did some things that warranted an ejection. Uh, you know, every day is a new day. It's it's not, we don't carry grudges. You, you really can't carry grudges. You have to kind of just turn the page and be like, you know, you kind of look at it in hindsight and you just go like, okay, that was, that was interesting. Uh, I was surprised it got as much publicity as it did, but I'm, I'm absolutely fine with Josh Donaldson. You know, he's, mm-hmm he's still playing. And if I umpired his game today, I, Hey Josh, how are you doing? Like it, w- it wouldn't even be a, you know, it's just another day. It's, it's literally a new day and you don't carry over from the previous incidents. You just, you can't do it. You know, if you, if you let that happen, you can't do your job.
0: Yeah. And to me, that just sounds so weird to, you know, talk to an MLB player, just a normal conversation. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's just part of like being an umpire that not a lot of people get to experience something like that.
1: Well, you so, hear some really crazy things uh, on the field. I mean, I, I've heard – I he's still an active player, so I can't say it. But I, I – I, one time was – this was like 2013. I was listening to two players that were – it was like a pitching change, and I'm standing at second base. And one of the players was talking to the other guy about – uh a a sports car that you ordered. And he's like, yeah, you know, they're saying it's not going to be here for another four months. And the other guy's like four months. That's crazy. Like, why why, go to somebody else? Like, I got a different guy. You call this guy out of Houston. And I'm like, like you, are you serious? Like you guys are sitting here upset that you have to wait four months to get your $300,000 car. Like do you realize, you know, like the bubble you live in, you know, you just kind of, And then they're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, it's, we're talking about Lamborghinis and, you know, it's just like that kind of thing. Sometimes I try to always bring a perspective of like, Hey, recognize that there's not a lot of people in this world that have the means that we all have. But you know, when, when you go back and you call play, it's like, okay, everybody's back to your, your roles and you got to do your jobs, but you hear some crazy things. I mean, guys, that fly private jets to go play a round of golf at a specific golf course. You're like, wow, it's, you know, when you've got the means, you know, just figure like a kid in a candy store and you give them the keys and, and they can go do what they want. So it's, it's pretty impressive, but they've certainly earned it. You know, they, yeah, they, they have that right to do it because they are incredibly good at what they do.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm sure stuff like that is definitely up there, but what's been like, one of your favorite experiences or player interactions through umpire
1: well you know my my favorite experience is actually i got a a private tour of air force one that was the coolest experience that i've had where you're like this is really cool you know i'm walking on air force one i was given a private tour by one of the the uh, pilots who happened to be at a nationals game and came down and introduced himself and said, hey, come on over. We'll take you over to Air Force One. And and um, everybody that works on Air Force One is in the Air Force. So uh, a couple of the flight attendants were in the Air Force that I was friends with. And they they said, hey, let's do this. So they actually picked us up. We went over, uh, went on the tour. It was really cool just seeing the history there and, and knowing like this is where, you know, President Bush was sitting, President Obama was sitting and you know at the time it was president obama and i mean he had his jacket hanging over the chair and it's like you know he he next time he takes a flight he's going to walk on here and he's going to put on his air force 1 jacket you're just like this is it's really cool from a from a patriotic standpoint and being a proud american you're like this is really cool you know and that plane is just amazing it's truly amazing
0: so yeah, that, that's crazy that,
1: that's like going on that tour was really cool
0: yeah um do you have any like player experience or player like you know events that have happened that
1: i mean i've i've been on the field for um you know some accomplishments some milestones uh just the other day i was working second base when yadier molina worked his 2000th or played his 2000th game as a catcher for the same team that's the most ever for a catcher in the history of baseball you know you see stuff like that you're like man that's that's a lot of games 2000 games with one team and you know you just kind of be like oh, that's that's pretty impressive and you see a player of that caliber and you just think man he's he's a likely first ballot Hall of Famer and that's that's impressive you see uh, you know a guy like Mike Trout that just continues year after year to be among the very best if not the best in the game and you just you just say like man it's just the guy his routine you got to respect it you got to respect what his his approach. And you know, other players are all striving to to you know catch him, and so it's it's really the competitive side that's really cool. You know, the the first six innings of a game, it's just like getting in a flow, and then the last three innings of the game is where you really have to lock in and be like, okay, look at the situations, and you start you you start have to you go on a high alert of. Was this guy hit with a pitch? Did this guy hit a home run? Is there arguments? Are they fighting? Is there, there's so many things that go into it. And as the you know, everybody wants to win because winning is the name of the game. So, uh, you know, winning is number one. And then right below that is personal achievements. So, you know, sometimes you recognize that personal achievements are being put above winning. That's a situation where you see a team down one run and a runner at second base with two outs. And he tries to steal third. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Well, he wants the stolen base. Well, mm-hmm. if you're throwing out a third, you're not really doing your, your team a service here. So yeah. you, you see things in the higher levels that you get, the more you understand why they're doing what they're doing. So I like to think that my baseball IQ since being in the big leagues has gone up exponentially to where I'm like, OK, there's no way this guy's going to steal here because they're down two runs and, you know, they, they need to have at least one in this inning. So this guy's not going to steal or, you know, like that was a bad analogy, but I'm thinking more like, here's a better situation. If they're down three runs and there's a runner at first and there's nobody out, you think this guy's not going to steal second base because they, they need three runs. So Mm -hmm. he needs the batter to get on base and then, things can happen so you kind of put yourself in their mindset of like, this guy's not going to do this but that doesn't mean they don't you know you, you just it, you may change your position you know if there's a left-handed batter sometimes i'll move over to the third base side if i'm working second base because if they hit one on the barrel and it's right at you i mean you sometimes you can't get out of the way they hit it hard
0: Mm-hmm. yeah so i i mean you definitely experience it a lot differently from like a normal fan aspect, you know, just watching it at home. Um, so I think it's pretty cool that you just get to, you know, see it. Like you said, you know, your baseball IQ has probably gone up a lot, um, you know, and even compared to like a normal fan that watches a lot of baseball, I'm sure that, that the on-field experience is so much different, like so much cooler in a sense too. But um, let,
1: I'll challenge you with this, John. This, this is a challenge. The next time that you go to – any baseball game. It doesn't matter if it's big league baseball game or high school baseball game, try to watch every pitch. Just, just try and see how far you get because you won't get that far. It, it's, it's pretty remarkable. People will, will tell you, I'll, I'll tell them, Hey, go to go to a Cubs game, watch every pitch. Usually they make it to the bottom of the first, then they miss a pitch. Mm-hmm. It's like, I got distracted. I I was looking at the hot dog vendor. It's like when you're on the field, you cannot miss a pitch. You cannot turn away. You can't get distracted. So it's like for those three plus hours, you're locked in. Now, in between inning breaks, yeah, you can you can kind of take a step back and you know if you, if you chew some bubble gum, whatever. Like we all have our routines on the field. I like to stretch sometimes in between innings just to keep my legs loose. But when it when they go back to playing, try to watch every pitch. It's really hard. It's it's a certain level of focus that you have to slow the game down and if you allow yourself to get distracted the game goes way too fast
0: yeah i mean i I've, I've experienced the game from both aspects from a player's aspect and a fan's aspect and i definitely feel like it's a lot easier to get distracted as a fan you know in uh in the middle of the game when not much is going on or you know it's a it's a low scoring game or something like that it's definitely a lot different than being on the field where you have to You know, like you said, be locked in for every pitch and know what's going on around you. So,
1: well, when you see the foul balls go in the stands and you know, people aren't even watching it, it almost hits them. You're like, man, they're not even watching the game. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that are built in to distract them. Yeah. They're trying to sell them merchandise, they're trying to sell them food. It's there's a lot of entertaining aspects off the field. But, you know, when the fans all get on their feet and everyone's (laughs) yelling, like, I can't wait till we get back to having full stadiums. Because mm-hmm. that's when it's it's really cool. When you're in the ninth inning and everyone's on their feet and they're cheering and you're like, you know, this is what it's all about. Like this is we're going to find out who's going to win right now. And this is the cool part of the gig.
0: Yeah. Is that like what do you feel like do you kind of play along with the energy in like a, a tight game, especially to say like a playoff game? Um, like how does that kind of work into calls and stuff like that?
1: Well, you actually do the opposite. The, the more amped up they get, the more calm you have to be. So you have to really slow yourself down and say, okay, they're on edge here and I need to be, I need to work on my timing. I need to slow it down. I need to make sure that I'm not, you know, anticipating anything because anticipation is, is the worst thing that an umpire can do. You have to observe and you have to make a decision. So if you get caught up in the like, Man, this is really exciting, and this needs to happen. Like that's you can't let that happen. You you really have to slow it down and and know like this is going to be a big situation in the game, and we need to get it right. I can't miss this pitch. I can't miss this check swing. I can't miss this play at first. I can't miss you know this call at for you know at second base on a steal. Like the, those are the types of things that now we have instant replay, but there's still some plays that aren't reviewable, so mm-hmm. you, you still have to be on your game.
0: Yeah. So you you just mentioned uh, instant replay, you know, a lot of like, you know, booth reviews and stuff like that has changed since uh, you know, baseball has become more popular. I think like, what are your, what are your thoughts on like booth reviews and just overall, like how the game you said, you mentioned, you mentioned you can't like review strikes and balls. How do you think that like plays into The game and do you think that the like mlb review system is as sharp as it can be
1: i do uh it's it's an impressive system it's uh so the here's benefits of of instant replay are you will no longer have those career defining misses okay the uh very good friend of mine jim joyce who had the perfect game in detroit Mm -hmm. and he missed the call on the last out of the game
0: yeah I've seen that many times
1: oh it's a it's a devastating thing for an umpire and jim is one of the classiest individuals i've ever come across so well respected so well respected by the teams and it happened to him and you know what he felt terrible now there's a flip side because i'll ask you this like you know can you name who had a perfect hitter right before Galaraga would have and right after you probably can't Because the reality is no one remembers that. But they all remember Galarraga for having the perfect game that he didn't have. So it's like Mm -hmm. he he got more publicity out of it. But it was at the expense of, of a really, really good umpire who made a mistake. So you say like replay would have fixed it. Okay. He would have had a perfect game in replay and they would celebrate it and he'd be in the record books. But is it a better story? then what really happened? I don't know. I mean, that, I guess that's to the casual fan to decide what the better story is. That the perfect game was fixed on replay or that this guy had a perfect game and the umpire missed the call and then it was like a big to-do. And, you know, it's like, hey, that's... It's a human element. So I, I don't know what's better. But I do know that the system, the replay system, is, is state-of-the-art. I mean, you see stuff that is so crazy and Mm -hmm. it's so clearly defined so defined and they could slow it down and everything is crystal clear in there and you you could see if a finger comes off a bag you know by that much or you know whatever it may be it's just the the system is incredible
0: yeah so like what kind of goes into um like booth like mlb booth reviews
1: well you have obviously there's technicians and an entire staff at the it's called the ROC, the Rock, the Replay Operations Center. Uh, so you have people that are working there nonstop, and they're constantly double-checking the camera feeds and the communications, so that we can get on the headsets and communicate in real time with the, the officials on the field. So when you look at um, you know the the scale of instant replay, it's a multi-million dollar commitment by major league baseball to help us get the calls. Right. I, I think there's unintended consequences. I think that you have those players that are, you know, they slide into second base. They're clearly stay, safe, but you know, their stomach is just over the bag and they're laying on top of it, but there's a certain angle that looks like they're off the bag. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I don't think that was necessarily the intended purpose of replay, but teams are obviously going to have replay people that, you know, it's their job to catch those little hiccups and take advantage of them. So it, it, it does add a different component to the competition where, you know, a guy would be called out and he otherwise would have been safe for a hundred years. Sometimes you just go like, well, you know, that's just, that's, that's what comes with the cost of not having those egregious misses happen anymore because egregious mm-hmm. misses do happen.
0: Yeah. So other than like the replay system, how else has the game of baseball kind of changed since you first became an umpire to now?
1: There's way more shifts. You know, the analytics have taken over the the, uh, strategy where you start to see this guy, you know, shortstops playing on the second base side. And it's, uh, you know, I I guess it's like in the NBA when they went from saying that you can't play zone, you got to play man on man. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know what the, what the, uh, committee, there's a a committee with major league baseball that um, the, the competition committee, it's their job to, to figure out what's best for the game. It's just our job to enforce whatever rules they decide. So right now they, they tell us like, this is what we want you to do. I know they're experimenting with some different rules in the minor leagues. Uh, I'm sure that 10 years from now, it'll be a lot different than it is today you don't really know
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and I think a lot of that too has to do with stuff outside of um baseball like you mentioned the analytics just how technology advances and how teams kind of prepare more for certain players and you know if this player um has tendencies to the left or to the right obviously they're going to play to that um as the game of baseball kind of advances more and that kind of plays into just like preparing for the game but uh Like, what do you do? You do anything to prepare for a game that you're umpiring?
1: Well, for sure. I mean, obviously, you're gonna stretch. You're gonna do. uh, You know, you you have to you have to get into a routine. Everything in baseball is a routine. So you have to mentally be ready when you walk on the field. So get to the stadium an hour and a half before the game starts. Get into your routine. Uh, You know, some people they like to to sit down and read the paper. You know, just kind of calm themselves down, and you're at the stadium. You're there, uh, because there are situations where there could be an accident or something, and and you know you don't get to the stadium as early as you'd like or you're you're used to. Uh, me personally, I enjoy. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll play cards in the locker room, sometimes we'll we'll have a a running spades game, but uh, about 40 minutes before the game, I get into a routine of stretching and. And really just getting ready to go out there. And then, you know, I text my family when I'm walking on the field, because sometimes when you're on the West Coast, you're not going to be able to say goodnight to them again, you know, because they're going to be in Mm -hmm. bed by the time you're off the field. So the time zones are difficult, but, uh, you know, you you always have the the constant travel, the arranging hotels and flights. So there's always something going on. Uh, But when you walk out onto the field, it's like, okay, like nothing else matters right now but this game these three hours uh, getting our stuff right. And then when it's over, then you go back to everything else. But on the field, you don't have your cell phone. It's just do your job and do it as well as you can. And, and hope that you don't make any mistakes and yeah. have your partner's backs, you know, and make sure that they know that they, mm-hmm. you've got their back.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned like the constant travel and obviously being an umpire, especially an MLB umpire at the big leagues is a very like time-consuming, demanding job. So like, what do you, or how I should say, how do you kind of balance like your life outside of baseball with being an umpire?
1: There's a lot of sacrifices. There's, there's you know, I, I'd say it's organized chaos where my wife is, uh, you know, she's takes care of the kids at home and she's a machine. She's just got it all under control. Um, you know, obviously as with four kids, it's never really under control, but she's amazing at it. Uh, you know, as far as everything else for me, man, you just, you look, take it a week at a time, you know, where you got to go. I know where I'm in New York right now. I'm here until Sunday. And then on Sunday I fly to Kansas city and, you know, I know my hotel's set up. I know where we're staying. We got a rental car, all of those things, you know, it's, it's, at the end of the year you look back and you think man i i covered a lot of ground in a short period of time now the off season is when we truly get to have quality family time because my family sacrifices as much as anybody uh frankly they sacrifice more than me because i get to live out my dream and you know my boys don't get to see me every day my daughter doesn't get to see me every day my wife doesn't get to see me every day so it's You know, me doing my job comes at a cost, but it's a very unique job. It's Mm -hmm. something that until you do it, you just don't know what to expect. And then once you're there, you're like, man, there's a lot of advantages, but it comes at a cost.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel like there are a lot of people that would be very willing to take your job and, you know, get to experience a game in the way that you do. Because it's definitely different from a fan's perspective.
1: Well, yeah, some of my best friends coming through the minor leagues, great people, they just, they weren't able to do it. You know, every year the game would get faster and faster and you don't know if you're able to do it at that level. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't go out there and work a normal game. You know, if you're uh, an official who's used to officiating could probably go out there and work the majority of the plays where it's. It's routine, but it's those non-routine plays. It's those those crazy rule plays. That's where you you separate yourself from the individuals that that truly have a grasp of the rules and able to, to lock in. Um, and some of my best friends, they realize it in double A AA and triple A, like, man, the game's got too fast. I can't keep up. You know, mentally, they can't slow it down with their eyes. They can't make those bang, bang plays look slow you like slow motion because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make a bang, bang play look like slow motion. And mm-hmm. if you can do it great, you know, then you can keep climbing the ladder and hopefully get a full-time job in the big leagues.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So that's all that I have. Um, and I don't know if you wanted to say anything before you left. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for coming on here. It's been a pleasure getting to, ask you some questions and just kind of get to know what being an umpire is really like at the big league level. So, uh, yeah, no, yeah I, thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. I, I, I wish you, you know, obviously you're passionate about what you're doing and I, I say, keep following your dreams, man. If you want to be a broadcaster, be a broadcaster. If you want to, you know, be a banker, be a banker, do whatever you want to do, whatever makes you happy. Because at the end of the day, if you're not happy, then it's not worth it.
0: Yeah. Yeah
1: you know, strive and work hard and understand that there's always, everybody's replaceable in every industry. So you, you want to go out there, be a good person, live your life the right way and lead by example, be inclusive. Don't, don't, you know, don't intentionally do anything to exclude anybody, you know, just be a good person and you're going to do just fine. And if you ever want me back on later on, uh, you know, do a, a follow up. I'm happy to do it for you.
0: Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, a lot of my friends would enjoy meeting you and kind of getting to know some of the stuff that I got to know today. So,
1: yeah, use yep. them to your advantage. Like when you, for college and, uh, you know, your your studies and, and whatever you want to go into, this is the kind of stuff that separates you. So, good for you. I'm proud of you.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. You got yeah. it. And thank you once again for coming on here and just taking some time out of your day to do this. My
1: pleasure. All right. We'll talk soon.
0: Yep. Sounds good.
1: All right. Bye, John. Bye.